This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. chapter 1 we find ourselves today. Uh, I'll say get comfortable in Philippians 1 because we're going to be here for a minute. Um, we're probably, we talked about Philippians 1, uh, 27 last week. We're going to talk about it today. We probably got two more weeks just in this one verse. That's how good this verse is. So uh, we're not going to rush through it. We're going to get all the good stuff from it. Uh, so we're going to do that today. A little bit of background on this. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he pastored for um, a little while. Started it from scratch. Uh, moved on, and then 10 years later, he finds himself in prison, writes a letter, uh, really a letter of joy, uh, a letter of gratitude that he sends to these guys, tell them to keep up the good work, and we'll see a lot of great things that they've done as we progress through this chapter here. We're just going verse by verse through the verse through the book of Philippians, we find it in verse 27. We're going to start in uh, verse 20 and read through 27 uh, here this morning, and 27 is really where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I choose I wot not. From it is straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of your joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming unto you again. Paul says, hey, I'd love to go be with Jesus. That would be great, but I think it's better for me especially to be here right now because it's going to help you and encourage you. And maybe me and you working together, serving Jesus, our joy can help one another. And our joy can be greater as a result of that. Then we find ourselves in verse 27. Only let your conversation, the word conversation means the way that you live your life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Last week we took a look at how our lives should be distinctly different because we're followers of Jesus Christ, how the world has their way of doing things, and that's okay, uh, but God's way are always going to be different. We should be able to take the life of a Christian next to an unsaved and be able to see a distinct difference in the way that we live our life. And so we took a look at last week how our lives should be becoming of the gospel. Today we're going to take a look at how our lives should reflect the gospel. Again, if the gospel message is the most important message that we have, and it is, then our lives and the way that we live them every single day should back up what we say we believe. Oftentimes we will talk about our priorities and uh, the principles that guide us in life, and we'll talk about things like faith and family and things like that. There are guiding principles. But oftentimes our guiding principles and our priorities aren't what we say they are, they're what we live. I say that again, oftentimes our priorities and our principles aren't what we say they are, they're what we actually truly live. If you say that your family is the most important thing in the world to you, yet you spend as much time as you can at work so that you don't have to deal with your family, so that you can come home, eat dinner, watch TV, and go to bed immediately, you can say that your family is your priority, but that's not really your priority. 
I can say things like my faith is my priority, and it should be. But when you spend five minutes reading the Bible and two hours on social media and four hours watching television, let me help you understand your faith is not your priority, that's for sure. So again, we need to be really honest with ourselves and determine, you know, do we believe what we say we believe? I think most Bible-believing Christians, if I said, do you believe the gospel? I think believe if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you would have to answer yes to that. Yes, I believe the gospel. The question is, does your life reflect the gospel? Does it actually back it up? Or does your life actually cause more questions for the gospel than it answers? We'll take a look at that today. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do first and foremost write down this thought. Our lives should reflect the gospel. He says, only let your lives be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That our lives should reflect the gospel. The things that we see in the gospel, we should see in our own lives, in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that others perceive our lives, in the way that we live them, should be a reflection of the gospel. And we're going to walk through that and exactly what that looks like practically uh, today. But here's the thing. Paul says to the, the church of Philippi, this is critical for you guys. This is important that your life reflects the gospel. Sometimes when we read verses like verse 27, uh, and we look at, at words that, that are in there, you know, one mind, one spirit. We look at words like striving together, and we think that those are important. Or in, in this case here, you know, your conversation, or the way that you live your life, let it be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. But the very first word that Paul lists there, only, only let your conversation. In the Greek language in which Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, wrote in the Greek language, the word that he's used there is uh, the word monon, M-O-N-O-N. It's where we get our word for mono, like mono versus stereo. When you think about a mono channel, it's one channel as opposed to two channels like a stereo would be. So it's where we get our word mono. And so Paul says, one thing I want you to, to know is really, really important. Paul didn't say, hey, here's five things I want you to, to, to prioritize. No, this one thing. Only let your life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying this is super important. This is really critical that our life reflects the gospel. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have, he, as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so we would that you abound more and more. Paul's saying, Christians, you know how you're supposed to live. Please do that and then continue to grow from there. So again, this idea that, that Paul had to challenge these Christians to live like Christians, this is not new in our society today. I know we often think that carnal Christianity is a plague of our American society, and I, I definitely would agree with that. But please understand, this is not new. Paul is challenging the church of Thessalonica. You guys know how you're supposed to live. Please do that and continue to grow from there. And I say to you this morning, church family, you know how you're supposed to live. Please just do that and grow from there. We had a guy one time uh, left our church because he asked the question, Pastor, when are you going to preach through the book of Revelation? And I said, I don't know, man. I said, Revelation's a heavy book, and, and I'm not scared of it because it's the Bible. I, I would not preach it because it's in the Bible. I said, but before I ever open my mouth ever to speak authoritatively from the book of Revelation, I'd probably do a good probably 18 months to two years of study just because I want to make sure that I get a full picture and I'm given good information out. It's not one of those just kind of goes you, goes you uh, go through it and just kind of throw stuff out there. And he said, well, I, I just, uh, I feel like the, the preaching here is, is, 
is not good preaching. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. That was so encouraging. Tell me more. And he says, here's the thing. He goes, whenever I hear you preach, he goes, it's just really simple. And he goes, like, I never leave church, like, confused or, like, wondered about the deep things of the Bible, you know. He goes, I like to leave church confused. I'm sorry to tell you, brother, that the Bible's not a confusing book. <laughs> and my job as a pastor and as a preacher is to make the Bible so crystal clear that a, a person who's looking for Jesus can find him very, very easily, that a person who's been walking with Jesus for less than 30 days can find something from there and grow, and then somebody who's you know, been walking with Jesus for four decades can say, hey, that was good. I want to take that and implement that in my life. My job is to make like as, as accessible as possible. Well, I just don't feel like I'm getting good preaching if I'm not confused. I'm sorry for that. And so he said, I, th I just feel like I need to go somewhere where the Bible is taught deeper. Okay, uh, if you're looking for deep Bible teaching and being confused every week, this is probably not the right church for you. But here's the funny thing about this guy. This is a guy who was living in a uh, fornicating relationship with his girlfriend. She, they, they lived together and were having sex outside of wedlock. This is a guy who admitted to, to, to using drugs. And this is a guy who said, I don't get drunk every weekend, but probably most weekends. And please un understand, there's nothing wrong with understanding the Bible on a deep level, and there's parts of the Bible I think would be confusing for anybody. But look, if you're not willing to obey the very simple basics of the Bible, that even an unsaved person who doesn't know the Bible ag agrees Christians should live this way, you don't need to understand the deep things of the Bible. You just need to obey the very simple things of the Bible. Does that make sense? And many Christians are, are educated far beyond their level of obedience. <laughs> they know a lot more about the Bible than they actually obey. And we need to be careful with that. So, again, I'm not against deep Bible study. I'm not, uh, I'm not against the book of Revelation by any means or anything like that. I'm just saying, let's just obey the really, really simple things of the Bible that we know we're supposed to. That's what Paul's telling the church of Thessalonica. Hey, you know how to walk. Just do it. We know what spirit-filled Christianity looks like. Just do it. And he says, and then I want you to abound more and more. I want you to grow from there. If you've got your Bible open in the book of Philippians, go down to Philippians chapter 2, verse number 15. Paul challenges the church at Philippi that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hey, Christians, here's how I want you to live. I want you to be blameless I want you to be harmless. I want you to live like the sons and daughters of God. I, I don't want people to have to rebuke you and call you down. I want you to just live how you're supposed to. And, and let me just tell you, I'm going to get to Philippians chapter 2, verse number 15, and I'm going to preach it. But like part of me is just like itching to preach this passage because you look at it, you know, what are we supposed to do? We're so, we as Christians are supposed to be blameless, harmless, sons of God without rebuke. And where are we supposed to do this? We're supposed to do this in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Does that sound like America today? It does. That what? What does it say there? Uh, the end of verse number 15. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Like that's like a three-point outline right there. Like it's just there for the taking. I'm not going to preach it today because I'm going to save it. We're going to get to that later, right? But it's good. Here's what he says. Hey, this world is going crazy. You're, you're not though. You're the ones that are supposed to be blameless without spot or blemish. Now, again, we're not perfect, but we should not live our lives in such a way that causes harm to the name of Christ. I want you to be harmless. I don't want you stirring up drama and strife and trouble and things like that. 
I don't want you to have to be rebuked by the unsaved world. This world's a mess, but you get to shine like lights in the darkness. That's what it means to live a life that reflects the gospel. We talked about this a little bit last week, but a life lived in opposition of the gospel actually invalidates the message. Again, it's not a lack of information that we have. It's a lack of just flat-out obedience. We know what we're supposed to do. We just don't want to do it. And when we do that, we invalidate the gospel message. Again, it's very difficult for me to tell someone about the joy that's found in walking with Jesus when I'm always angry, when I'm always hateful, when I always gossip and gripe and complain, and I hate everybody's guts, and the world's against me, Oh, but let me tell you about the joy that's found in Jesus. Bro, you don't know joy. You're, the, you're like the last person I would come for advice on joy. So when we live a life in opposition to the gospel, we actually hurt the gospel message. Again, if you got your Bible open, Philippians, go to Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18. Actually, verse number 17, Philippians 3, 17. Here's what Paul says. Philippians 3.17 to the believers there. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow the example that I left for you guys and I want you to look around in the, the church and I want you to find godly men and godly women and follow their example. That's what he says. It's funny, sometimes people are like, I don't follow anybody but Jesus. We're not asking you to follow them hook, line, and sinker. We're asking you to follow the example that they set. And if they love Jesus and they're living in accordance to Scripture, mark them. Identify them as this is a person that I want to walk with and to emulate the way that they follow Jesus. I'm thankful that our church is, is chock full of godly men and godly women that set a really good example. I'm thankful that when guys come to me and say, hey, uh, can you recommend a guy that could encourage me and mentor me and help me and disciple me? Uh, yeah, I got a list of five guys that I could totally put you with that would be helpful for you. When ladies say, hey, I could use somebody to talk with. Hey, I got five ladies that you could talk to that love Jesus and that would love you. Because he says, we're to be those examples. Find those examples and follow them. But here's what he says. Why do we need those examples to follow? He says that in verse number 18, for many walk of whom I've told you often. Now, stop for just a second. And I want you to understand before I read this verse, he's talking about other Christians because he's talking to the church. I want you to find people in the church that are good examples and follow them because verse number 18 says that there's people in the church for many walk, not just a couple of knuckleheads, many walk of whom I have told you often. And I tell you again, even weeping for they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. There's people in the church that you don't need to follow their example. You need to run from them because these are not our friends. These are our enemies. You say, whoa, what did these people do? Verse number 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. These are the people who don't follow the God that we follow of the Bible. They follow the God of their own belly, whatever they want. Their, their idol that they worship is themselves. And whatever they want, that's what guides them. That's what leads them. They're led by their emotions. They don't follow after God. Their life is falling apart. Their end is destruction, it says here. And then it says, whose glory is in their shame. They are so proud 
of their sin and their shameful behavior. Look, when I was a teenager, I, done a, I did a lot of stupid stuff. Me and my friends would go out on the weekends and we'd do dumb stuff. And we always, always, always did our best to hide what we were doing. I mean, when I would take my dad's shotgun out and we would go out and shoot stuff and shoot stop signs and do other dumb stuff that redneck kids do in Kentucky, I would always go and buy more shotgun shells to, to replenish my dad's ammo so he didn't know it was missing. I would always wipe down his gun and clean it. And I would remember exactly how it was tilted in the gun cabinet and tilted exactly the same way because I don't want to get caught. You know, and you didn't tell anybody what you were doing because you, were, you didn't want to get caught. We live in a society now where people take ice cream out of the freezer at the grocery store, lick it, and put it back in, and put it, upload it to YouTube. Wait, no, we used to, like, I never did anything that terrible, but if I did, I would put it on the internet for everybody to see. I'd be embarrassed of that. The Bible says aren't embarrassed of, they have no shame. They glory in their shame. These are the people who do whatever they want to and are so proud of what everybody else would deem as shameful behavior. And folks, this is the society that we live in today where things that were once shameful to speak of now are celebrated. And here's the hard part for us as Christians. If you fail to celebrate the things that the world celebrates, then you yourself are a judgmental bigot now because I saw one of the, probably the, one of the most troubling things I've ever seen. Uh, there was a, it was on the news, and somebody sent it to me, and I wish they hadn't have because it just bummed me out. This girl, instead of having a gender reveal party for her child, had an abortion party where they, they balloons, had balloons, and they said, it was a boy. And I thought to myself, that just hurt my heart. And they were laughing and they were playing games and you know they had they had alcohol there and they had balloons and all this other stuff and it's just like you just murdered a kid and you're celebrating it. God help us as a nation. But the Bible says, no, these are the people who glory in shame. That any normal Christian would be embarrassed by this, but these are Christians who say it's not a big deal. They're, they're Christians who even today in our society will say it's a woman's body and it's her choice let her make her own decision well the Bible says it's a life and that life belongs to God and, and does the baby get a choice again we live in a society where people want to identify what lives matter we, we as Christians would say all lives matter babies included but again these are people who claim to be followers of Christ claim to be Christians whose end is destruction whose God is their belly whose glory is their shame and it says who mind or desire earthly things verse 20 says our conversation the way we live our life that's in heaven we're different than that so again when we have Christians who live in opposition to the gospel you just heard it hurt the real gospel message when you're a Christian who lives in opposition to God's word, you just make it harder for real Christians who are trying to do the real thing. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about hypocrisy. It's damaging. It's hurtful to the gospel. Now, important questions. What is the gospel? I want you to know the gospel so well that it just kind of becomes second nature for you. I want you to know the gospel forwards, backwards, upside down so that you in any situation, in any circumstance can know the gospel so well that you could share your faith with another human being. That's my job as a pastor to give you those tools that you need. 
And one of the ways that we do that is we talk about the gospel every single Sunday without fail. You're going to hear it. If you come to who we call it 52 weeks, 52 weeks this, this year, you'll hear the gospel guaranteed without, without fail. Why do we do that? A couple of reasons. There might be somebody who comes who's never heard the gospel before. And it would be a terrible thing if they came and did not hear about their sin, did not hear about the Savior, but heard, you need to, to pray more and live a good life. And they leave believing, hey, I only went to church once and I, I heard you need to pray more and live a good life. That would be the worst thing in the world that could happen because that is not enough to get you to heaven. It's not enough to save you or change your life. So we share the gospel every week because we want maybe first-time guests or people who have been here for a while to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to accept. But we do it every week, too, because I want this to become such a part of who you are that you could just kind of rattle the gospel off the top of your head without thinking about it because you hear it 52 weeks a year. I want the verses that we talk about, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 5, 8, Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10, to be so part of your DNA that it just kind of comes out without you even thinking about it. And I want you to realize every single week of the world that while we hear the gospel week after week, it's estimated that 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel one time. That should cause us concern. So what's the gospel? Several different ways we could present the gospel, share the gospel, categorize the gospel. Uh, one way is if you uh, got one of those, uh, the green cards that we have here, uh, like this. We have them in the, the racks on the, in the back over here. On the back, five verses. And it tells you this. I won't, I won't read the verses. God loves you, John 3.16. Everyone is a sinner and has broken God's laws, Romans 3.23. Uh, because we are guilty, our sin has a price that must be paid, Romans 6.23. Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay for your sin, Romans 5.8. Turn from your sin, pray, and ask Jesus to be your Savior, Romans 10.9. That's the gospel in a nutshell. These cards here, cost us probably five to ten cents to print. This is of eternal, everlasting value in the hands of the right person. You say, well, how do I know who the right person is? You don't. You just continue to hand them out until God finds the right person. And people have said before, well, what if people don't take them? I've had people reject them. That's fine. I've had people take them. I have had, I personally have had people take it from me and immediately throw it in the garbage can. That's fine. doesn't hurt my feelings because they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting the gospel. Not personal. And somebody who can deal with rejection, Jesus can deal with rejection. He's good at it. For me, it's, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting truth. And so I need to recognize that. But the gospel could be categorized in those five categories there if you wanted to. Another way to categorize it is God. Everything begins and ends with God. God is holy. God righteous. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. God is perfect and without sin. God cannot be in the presence of anything sinful. God created everything perfect without sin, but man chose to rebel against God. Man chose to do things his own way. Man chose to, God says, don't eat of this the fruit of this tree, because in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And the devil says, you're not going to die. The Bible says that Eve ate of the fruit and gave it to Adam, and he ate. The Bible says their eyes were opened. And some people have asked, well, they didn't die right away. Oh, you need to understand what death is. Death is not when you fall over on the ground and we dig a hole and, and put you in it. That's not death. Death is separation. 
And your physical death takes place when your soul and spirit separate from your body. That's when you physically die. But the moment that they sinned against God, their spirit was disconnected from God. And their spirit died immediately. And so, yeah, they died immediately, spiritually speaking. God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And from that point forward, there was always distance between man and God, always. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that our sin nature is passed upon all men for all men that have sinned. So what that means is that if you have a dad, your dad gave you your sin nature. That doesn't mean that the moms are sinless because uh, they also have dads and also have a sin nature, but our the, the passing down of sin nature comes from our fathers. So if you have a dad, you're a sinner. And so all men have sinned, the Bible says. I've sinned, you've sinned. There's never been a person who's ever lived on this earth who had a dad that sinned ever, that hasn't sinned. So, because of our sin, there's a price that must be paid. And look, if you hear nothing else here today, hear this. Because you've sinned against God, sinned against God, we deserve to go to hell when we die. There's only two places, heaven and hell, and we deserve to go to hell. I'll repeat that. All of us deserve to go to hell because we've broken God's law. And sometimes people say, well, I don't really agree with that. I don't think that we should all go to hell because we've sinned. It doesn't matter what you think. It's just what the rules are. I don't think somebody should get fined $5,000 for not wearing a mask walking down the sidewalk. It doesn't matter what I think, though. The law is the law. And so whether you think you've done enough bad stuff to be deserving of hell, doesn't matter. The law is the law. So we all deserve to go to hell. But here's the good news. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God wants to save you and forgive you of your sin. And so God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, to die for your sins, to pay for what you owe God. You and I owe God our lives. You and I deserve to die. You and I deserve to be punished. You and I deserve to take God's wrath and punishment because of our sin. But here's what the Bible says. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is Jesus died in our place. Well, how could Jesus die in our place? Because here's the beautiful thing about who Jesus is. Jesus had no sin. He didn't owe God anything. You see, I couldn't pay for your sin if I wanted to. I have my own sin that I have to pay for. I couldn't pay for yours. You couldn't pay for mine. You have your own sin. A church couldn't pay for anybody's sins. So there has to be somebody who could pay for our sins, who owed God nothing. And that was Jesus. But Jesus was without sin. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Jesus was born of a virgin. And that sin nature that should have come from the lineage of his father, he didn't have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father and was born of a virgin. Therefore, he was born without sin. And because God became a man, and he went to the cross to pay for our sin. You see, I was supposed to die. Jesus died for me. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure God's wrath and judgment because of our sin. But Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus took my sin, he took it to the cross, he put it to death, and he paid the price for our sin, and he said, it is finished. That's why I love that song we, we sang this morning, the power of the cross, it is finished. 
the victory cry. This, the power of the cross, Son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. I just got chicken skin. That's good. That's the gospel, folks. Jesus died for sinners. But it doesn't stop there. This is the last most important part. And again, if you hear nothing else, you got to hear this today. You've got to make a decision for yourself whether or not you'll follow Jesus. Totally up to you. The response is the critical part of the gospel. Did Jesus die for the sins of mankind? Yes, but every person is personally responsible for their own sin and making it right with God. I couldn't save you if I wanted to and pray you into heaven and no one else could do that either. False religion makes up garbage like baptism for the dead. Like, oh, you can get baptized for Uncle Zeke and he can get out of hell and go to heaven. There's a thousand and one problems with that. But let's just say, first of all, a church has no authority to give salvation ever. Second of all, baptism never saved anybody ever. Third of all, the Bible says once you go to your final resting place, it is final. There's no getting out. There's no second chances. And that's just three out of a thousand other problems with that. It's final. It's over and done with it. The second you take your last breath on this earth, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die after that, the judgment. So if you want to go to heaven, you need to make your reservation before you get there. You don't need to hope so, think so, maybe so. You cannot be good enough to make it to heaven on your own. There's only one hope that you have, Jesus. And you don't become a Christian by joining a church or by being baptized or being really committed or going every Sunday morning. Here's what you must do to be saved. You must believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he is the only way to heaven. You must believe that you have broken God's law and you deserve God's punishment. And you must choose to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. That's the only hope that you have. And so all seems kind of complicated. Not complicated at all. I could today, and you could too. I was a nine-year-old boy when I got saved. I was in my bedroom on a Sunday morning, and my dad sat down with me. We went through the Bible, and at the end of that, I prayed a prayer like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to go to hell. Please forgive me and save me of my sins. Amen. And as a nine-year-old boy, God saved me that day. And I don't need to be saved after that because I'm now a child of God. I'm now adopted into his family. I'm now once and forever a child of God. And you can do that today as well. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to take a class. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that I have broken God's law. I'm asking God to save me and forgive me today. If you really believe that, you could say a prayer like that in your seat right now and be saved. And it's not something you have to do again and again and again. The Bible says you need to be born again one time. That's it. If there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you've been saved, where you've been born again, you need to get that squared away today. Because you don't know how much time you have left on this earth and you need to be prepared to meet God. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God, man, Jesus response. Another summary of the gospel could be this. Jesus died in place of sinners for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died in place of sinners for the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. You can be forgiven by putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One of the great scriptural summaries of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He died for our sins, just the way the Bible said. And he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, just as the Bible said. Jesus died for sinners, and he rose again the third day. John chapter 3 puts it so, so easy for us. He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. There's no middle ground there. Either you have Jesus Christ and you have eternal life, you don't have Jesus Christ and eternal life, and you have God's punishment coming for you. There is no middle ground. There is not a hope so, think so, maybe so. Very, very black and white when it comes to whether or not you are saved, whether or not you are born again, whether or not you are a child of God. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If not, today is your day. Now, if we're going to live lives that reflect the gospel, we need to understand what is a result of the gospel. When we get saved, what really happens? How do we look at the, the gospel and live that out in our day-to-day life? First of all, you need to understand this. Jesus can save anyone. Anyone. And for us to live a life that reflects the gospel, we have to live like we really believe that Jesus can save anyone. And let me just tell you this this morning. If you believe that there's a certain category of people by, based on the way that they live, what they believe, or who they are, that cannot be saved... You just don't believe the gospel because the Bible says anybody can be saved. I've known people before who says, oh, that guy, he's way too far gone. That guy, he's, he's way too steeped in his religion to, to, to believe the gospel. That guy there, he is just neck deep in sin. He could never be saved. That guy right there just absolutely hates Christians. That lady over there, she's as atheist as atheist gets. Bad, bad, bad. Are you saying that God can't save them? Because the gospel says that Jesus can save anybody. <laughs> I got my hair cut at a, a barber shop here. And uh, it was different than the one I normally go to. I didn't have my regular barber. And so uh, I went to this guy. And this dude, I mean, he probably had maybe 12 square inches on his entire body that were not covered in tattoos. I mean, this dude, like, down to his fingertips and around the tips of his fingernails were tattooed. I mean, like, hardcore. And these weren't, like, like, mom with a heart, you know, with an uh, arrow going through it. I mean, he's like hardcore, rough-looking dude. And while he's cutting the guy's hair in front of me that I'm waiting for him to, to get to me, the dude is just cussing up a storm and talking about all types of vile, foul, filthy garbage. And I was like, this is going to be great. And so, anyways, he finally calls me, come on over and I sit down in the chair and he asks me what I want. He, I pointed out to him and everything. He's like, all right, he starts cutting everything. And so, um, he said, how you been? I said, I'm good, man. How about you? Good. He said, do you live here? I said, yeah, man. I said, live right across the street. He's like, awesome. That's cool. He said, what do you do? I'm a pastor. The scissors started moving really slow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man, I love it. Really? Yeah. I said, outside of being a husband and a father, the best thing I've ever done in my life is be a pastor, by far. He was like, that's cool. That's cool. I said, you go to church? Nah, nah, I'm definitely not the church type. That's cool. Did you grow up going to church or anything like that? Nope, never. Have you ever been to church before in your life? And he goes, 
I went to a wedding once at a church. Does that count? <laughs> that does not count. And, and we both kind of laughed at that. He's like, then no, never been to church before. And you would look and say, this guy, like, so far gone. This guy, not interested in anything that you would have to say from a spiritual perspective. He's obviously uncomfortable by the conversation that we're having. The guy's obviously living a life that is contrary to what God's word identifies. And so you'd say, this is a guy who you could say, not going to happen. But here's what I said. Question for you. He said, okay. I said, you might need a minute to answer this. And I said, and I'll give you a minute if you need that. And he goes, oh, I'm kind of interested in what the question is now. Good. I said, what happens when we die? He goes, bro, you hit me with the heavy questions early in the morning. What's up with this? It was like 11 o'clock. I was getting married. He's just like, oh. He goes, okay, give me a minute. Okay. And so he's cutting hair. And you can tell wheels are turning up there. He always cut my hair. And he goes, I don't know. That's a terrible answer. You had to have thought about it at some point in your life. He goes, I think about dying all the time. He goes, I just never thought about what happens after that. Okay. And he goes, I guess, I guess we're just like, like a bug. You know, you squash it, it's dead. It's gone. Over. That's it. We just die and we just cease to exist forever. He goes, yeah. I go, okay. He goes, so that's why you just got to, you know, get everything you can out of this life because this is all we got. That makes sense. It really does. What if I told you that there are two places that you go when you die? Heaven and hell. He goes, okay. I said, if you were just guessing, where do you think you would go? He goes, I don't have to guess. I'm 100% sure. Really? Where'd you go? Hell. Well, at least we agree on something. Uh, and, and mind you, we don't agree on this because he has tattoos and he, he uses foul language. We agree on this because he doesn't believe the gospel, okay? We agree that you're going to hell. Agreed. And I said, what if I told you that I deserve to be there with you? He goes, I wouldn't believe that. I wouldn't believe that. I, I, I don't know where you're going with this, but I don't believe any of that. Okay. He says, you're a pastor. I know you probably try to do good stuff. And, you know, he said, he, he's met my kids before and cut their hair. And he said, I, I know your boys. And he said, I, I don't believe that you deserve the same thing I do. I said, but I, I do. That's the thing about it. And I said, the crazy thing about this is really good people go to hell and really terrible people go to heaven sometimes. And he goes, that doesn't make any sense. I go, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? And he's just cutting hair. And he was like, and? What do you mean? Like, what else? Oh, you want to know more? Yeah. Hello. We talked for 30 minutes through the gospel. He didn't get saved. I invited him to church. He didn't come to church. But hey, look, we had a long conversation. And he told me at the end of that conversation, I have never heard this before in my life. Hey. I wonder how many Christians just sat down in this chair and go, this dude is so far gone, he has no desire. Or even worse, how many Christians just sat down in this chair and just didn't give a rip where he goes? But if we really believe the gospel, we believe that God could save that guy. We believe that God could save the most hardened sinner. We believe that God could, could save the eighth. I wish we had time to, to hear stories from people in our church family who were the people that were so far gone that they would never get saved. And they did. And if you really believe the gospel, you believe that anybody could be saved. There's nobody 
too far beyond the grace of God. If you got your Bibles handy, turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Beautiful verses. Very, very simple when it comes to the gospel. How does one become saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell us. In your Bible, you should have Romans 10, 9 and 10 circled, starred, underlined. And if you use a Bible app, you should highlight these in your Bible app. You should commit these to memory. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you can be saved. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins, and I believe that he has the power to forgive me, and I'm asking him to save me today. Boom. If you believe that, confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart, saved. These verses also is, is why one of my big pet peeves as a pastor is I hate the, the phrase, and some of you might have used this, and I'm okay with that. It, it's fine. I just want to help you with something. I hate the phrase, the sinner's prayer. Oh, yeah, my, my neighbor Joe, he prayed the sinner's prayer couple of problems. First of all, we never find a sinner's prayer in the Bible anywhere, unless it was a Gideon's Bible in the hotel in the back cover, okay? That doesn't count as the Bible. There's never a sinner's prayer found in the Bible anywhere. It is a belief in our heart and a confession with our mouth. Now, does that mean that I'm against someone leading someone to pray a prayer of repentance? I'm not against that. But the power is not in the words that we use. It's in a belief and a confession. And so, very critical that we understand that. Now, again, if I want to say that somebody got saved, I'm going to say this guy got saved, this guy was born again, this guy accepted Christ as his Savior. I'm going to use Bible terms for that. I'm not going to say he prayed a sinner's prayer because that's not really a Bible thing. He asked Jesus into his heart. That's not really a Bible thing. So this says, if you believe in your heart and confess to the mouth, you can be saved. But look at what verse 13 says. This is a beautiful verse. And again, we need to use this in the context of one who's confessed Christ. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Well, what if they've done some really crummy stuff? Whosoever. And this is, again, when people begin to, either never Christians or unsaved people begin to, to digest the gospel. They begin to say things like, well, what this is saying is that some guy can just live a terrible life, and before he dies put his faith in Christ, be saved, and then it's just all forgiven and he gets to go to heaven, right? Yeah, that's what it means. Well, I don't think that's fair. Oh, friend, you don't want to talk about fair. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to go there. No, I do. I want to get what's coming to me. No, you don't. Please don't say those words again. You don't want to get what's coming to you because coming to you is wrath and judgment. That's what you deserve. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm not under wrath and judgment. Here's the thing. As Christians... You know what's not fair? You and I say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you with every fiber of my being for the rest of my life as long as I live. And then the next day or even the next breath we sin. And God says, I forgive you, son. Get it together. And the next day we sin. And God says, I forgive you, son. I forgive you, daughter. Get it together. That's not fair. You want to talk about fair? Well, it's not fair that somebody lives a really good moral life and die and go to hell. It's not fair that anybody gets to go to heaven. But again, we're not talking about what's fair. We're talking about what God says is righteous and just. And God says anyone can be saved. Doesn't matter who they are. 
do you live like anybody could be saved or do you have people in categories that that guy could never be saved? I'm glad that people didn't put me or put my parents who led me to Christ in a category of people who could never be saved. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that people never wrote you off as somebody that was too far gone or not worthy of receiving the gospel. You know, God could save anybody. What's the result of the gospel? One of the results of the gospel is that God can redeem and repurpose broken people. The way that we live the gospel out in our lives is we take our failures and we turn them into victories because that's what God does. We don't allow ourselves to live in the brokenness and the shame and the guilt that comes from our sin. You see, the Bible says that Jesus took upon himself our sin, our shame, our guilt. Jesus felt the wrath and punishment of God for my sin. I don't have to feel guilt for that. I don't have to feel shame over my sin. I'm actually set free from that. And when I continue to harbor guilt and shame of my sin that I've confessed to God and he's forgiven me for, yet I still choose to feel guilt and shame, I am actually diminishing the work of Christ on the cross. Isn't that crazy? Jesus died to set me free from guilt and shame. Why am I carrying that around? And the story of the Bible from beginning to end is the story of the gospel. And the story of the Bible from beginning to end is that God redeems and repurposes broken people. You take a look at Abraham. If you read through the book of Hebrews and read about Abraham, you see that Abraham was justified by faith. And Abraham was, is in Hebrews chapter 11, what we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith. These are like the super Christians of the Old Testament, right? These are the guys who are the shining examples of faith. Man, tell me about the faith of Abraham. Hold up for a second. Did anybody forget that Abraham and Sarah laughed at God when God told them they were going to have a kid? Did anybody forget that Abraham had sex with Sarah's handmaiden because he didn't really believe that Sarah could get pregnant and God could give them? Did we forget that? Or are we just going to gloss over that in Hebrews that Abraham was just a guy of super faith? Did we forget that when Abraham and Sarah went out that somebody saw, like, hey, look at that woman there. Uh, I'd like to have her. And Abraham goes, oh, this is my sister. Yeah, take her if you want her. You can totally have her. Hold up. Now we're going to go to Hebrews and talk like Abraham's like this super Christian. In the same passage, just Lot. Lot is the picture of righteousness and justice, right? Hold up. Anybody ever read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? You got a guy who's willing to open up, open up the door and allow his two virgin daughters to be sodomized by a group of homosexual men, and we're going to call this guy a shining example of faith? Hold up for a second. This isn't fair. Agreed. But when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means the moment that Abraham confessed his sin to God, the Bible says that his sin was cast as far as the east is from the west and God remembered it no more. It means that God had taken his transgressions and iniquities and had cast them into the depths of the sea. And that when God tells the story of Abraham and Lot now, he doesn't drag up all of their old sin anymore because that's forgiven under the blood of Jesus Christ and it's like it never happened. And we now just get to talk about how they lived according to faith because all of their sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. That's the story of the Bible. 
So when we say things like, well, you know, I messed up and God can never use somebody like me, you don't believe the gospel because the gospel says God uses people specifically like that. I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul didn't go, oh, well, I've killed a lot of Christians and uh, I blasphemed the Lord's name. I was actually an enemy of the church. I, I, I bet God can never use a guy like me. Hold up. I'm glad Paul didn't have that thought. Paul said, no, because of my brokenness, God can use me to a greater degree. Because people have seen what the Apostle Paul did, God can use my life now to show what the gospel can do. Hello, I now have a greater opportunity to be used of God because of my broken condition, because that's what the gospel does. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse number 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us a ministry of reconciliation. We don't have time to break down that entire verse, but here's what I want you to get. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And God has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. You know what that means? Now that you're a new creature in Christ, it's your job to bring other people to Jesus so that they can be made new too. That's your job now, to draw people to Christ. Man, don't miss that. I had the opportunity this week to, to sit down with a guy who's been attending our church for a few weeks. And um, he sent me a text on Monday. He says, Pastor, do you have time to grab coffee this week and talk about life in Jesus? That's waving a red flag in front of a bull, you know. Do I want to talk about Jesus and drink coffee? Hello. Yes. So we sat down. And I we talked through, you know, his church background and his life and stuff like that. I said, has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? He goes, no. Okay. And I said, do you understand what that means? And he goes, I do. And so we talked through the gospel. I said, do you understand that? He says, I do. And he says, here's the thing. He said, I got a coworker who was sharing with me some of the struggles that he had gone through, and he was being really honest. And he talked about how Jesus had brought him through it and how he was a different person now because of it. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what I need, exactly. And I thought, if God can do it for him, I think maybe God could do it for me. Hello, that's called the gospel, and the gospel changes people's lives. And I said, would you like to accept Christ as Savior? He said, I would. I said, man, just tell God. He prayed one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's funny. He said, I don't know how to pray. It's just talking to God like you talk to me. Okay. And this guy who doesn't know how to pray prayed one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard in my life. Confessed his sin before God. Asked God to forgive him of his sins and to save him. He got saved that day. Why? Because he not only heard a gospel message, he saw the gospel message in somebody else's life. And he said, that's what I need. That's what I'm looking for. So God takes everybody and uses everyone. That's important to understand sometimes that we need to understand that there are certain limitations as far as what God could do, but God wants to redeem and use anyone. The Bible is really clear in First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 on the qualifications of two offices in the church, pastor and a deacon. God gives clear-cut guidelines what these guys must live up to. And if you violate these, then you're no longer fit to pastor, you're no longer fit to be uh, the office of a deacon. Other than that, there's no limitation whatsoever on what God could use your life for at all. That's why it's so frustrating to see so-called Christian pastors who get involved in adulterous relationships and sometimes divorce their wife and marry their new girlfriend and then go to start new churches. Hold up, can't do that. 
you violated the qualifications of a pastor, and you're no longer biblically allowed to pastor. First qualification of a pastor, First Timothy chapter 3, that he be blameless. You, you blew it. Doesn't mean God can't use you. It means you can't pastor any longer. But as far as God redeeming and restoring, that's what he does. God doesn't need really good people got it all together that he can use. You take a look at God chose to use Abraham because Abraham was a nobody. He chose to build from him a great nation called Israel from nobodies to show how strong he is. God's not interested in your pedigree. God's interested in like, hey, can I use you? Can I use your story to help other people? That's what redemption looks like. Next, we're not accepted based on who we are, but on what Jesus Christ has done. That's what the gospel says. The gospel says you're not good enough to go to heaven. The gospel says you're not good enough, righteous enough, holy enough to even come into God's presence. You are a sinner who's in great need of help. And you come to God not based on how good you are, but how gracious he is. It's important that we as Christians always understand where we came from. That before Jesus, you had no hope. You didn't have a plan. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't, you couldn't tie your shoes if God didn't allow you to. You need to remember that's where we came from. Now, I was a nine-year-old boy when I got saved, but I didn't start walking with Jesus until I was probably 22. And as a young, single adult, I was just going through life, bumping into everything that I could bump into, trial and error, trying to figure life out. I had no direction. I had no plan. I had no hope. I had no vision. I had no clue. I was just trying to make it, find happiness. Wherever I was told by the world that happiness could be found, I looked there. I was disappointed. But when I found the hope in Jesus Christ, when Angela and I decided that that was going to be the foundation for the rest of our life, oh, let me tell you, it's like the lights came on. And it's just like, oh, this is what I've been missing. Oh, this is what the Bible speaks of. And I need to remember that that's where I came from. And we as Christians need to understand, too, that sometimes the longer that we're in church, we just automatically assume that everybody knows the things that we know. That everybody's just automatically on our level. When I say, say things like that repentance, everybody just knows what that means. And again, that's why I try to make things very, very clear like a kid could understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes many Christians have never gone through any type of discipleship program. They basically just copy what they see and everybody else do. I, I don't know the first thing about being a Catholic at all. I remember one time as a kid, I went to a Catholic uh, wedding. And like, I'm just looking around because I don't have a clue as to what I'm doing. These people stand up, I stand up. This guy repeats something, I try to mutter what everybody else around me is muttering, you know, so I don't look out of place. They sit down, I sit down. I kick out the little footrest that they got there and put my feet up. And I realize it's not a footrest. I got scolded for that. Not a footrest. Okay, I'm watching everybody else. Everybody else kneels, I kneel. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of copying everybody else. And I forget that, th that some people view Christianity that way too. They showed up to church. They don't even really know, what was I supposed to wear today? Am I wearing the right thing? And I'm kind of looking around. Everybody else is going to stand, so I'm going to stand. Everybody else is going to sing this song. I don't know it. I'm going to pretend like I know it, though. The pastor's up there saying things, and everybody seems to nod their head, so I'll nod my head, too. And then I'll come back and try it again next week. 
And that's kind of as far as they get. They never really get in to understand what it even means to be a Christian. And maybe that describes your your experience. Please understand, you need somebody to teach you and guide you through this process, and we want to help you with it. If you're here today and you say, I don't even know if I am a Christian. Good, I want to help you and guide you through that process of, of either accepting Christ or fully understanding what you're rejecting at least. But we need to understand that we don't, we're not accepted by God because of how good we are, how righteous we are. We're accepted in God because of his grace for us. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9 through 11 says it this way, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? The unsaved, unrepentant, unrighteous sinner will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fact. And he says, be not deceived. Here's the list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. A long list of some really, really bad people. And we could look and say, praise God we're not them, right? And I think the church at Corinth was getting ready to go, praise God that's not us. But here's what Paul says next. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. <laughs> Before you get all high and mighty and start puffing your chest out and become like a Pharisee and say, well, at least I'm not like that guy over there. Praise God I'm not like this lady over here careful with that remember where you came from and just understand this without the grace of God you and I would be in a total total basket case I have no doubt in my mind were it not for the grace of God my life would be 100% wrecked if I was still alive by this point I can say that with full authority so we need to remember that if my life reflects the gospel it's not based on who I am or how good I am. It's based on the grace of God. And I need to understand every single day that everything that I have is only by the grace of God. Do you live that way every day? I hope that you do. Next, we need to live like we've been released from the penalty and the power of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that when we put our faith and trust in Christ that sin has no more dominion over us. I don't have to live in sin any longer. That sin, not only is penalty over me is broken, I'm never going to hell when I die because I'm a child of God because I've been saved. But what if you mess up? I'm going to mess up. But when I do, it's not going to send me to hell. It gives me the opportunity to be forgiven by my heavenly Father. But I'm set free from the penalty of my sin, but I'm also set free from the power of my sin. Romans chapter 6 says if I go back to my sin, it's only because I want to, because I've yielded myself as a member, as my members to unrighteousness. I chose to go back to my sin. Sin doesn't have any power over me. So I need to live like I'm forgiven. Again, if you're living in a life of habitual sin, your life doesn't reflect the gospel because the, the gospel says you're forgiven of that, you don't have to go back to it. It's crazy to me to see sometimes people's lives. They accept Christ as Savior. They want to be forgiven. They want to change. They want to go to, to heaven when they die. And then not two weeks later, they immediately go back to the sin that they were involved in and say, well, I, I just can't seem to make it past this. No, you went back to it. You were forgiven. You had a clean slate. You had a fresh start. 
You chose to go back to it. Well, nobody would choose to go back to, to sin like this. Uh, careful with that. The Bible says, just as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. You're just a fool. You're not living wisely. You're not living a mature Christian life because you're just a baby. You know what babies do? They wreck everything and they poop in their pants, and that's what you're doing. Grow up. Right? So we need to understand that when we live a life of habitual sin, I want to be very careful of this, and I want you to get to really take a second to breathe in the weight of this. When you choose to live in habitual sin purposely, you're making a mockery of the gospel. That's a heavy charge. It is. It's hard to hear. I hope so. Because the gospel says you're free from your sin. Quit living in it. He said, well, Pastor, nobody's perfect. I'm not talking about you make mistakes, you lose your cool, you say something you shouldn't say, have a slip and, and say something that you shouldn't say, or you lose your temper, or you get caught up and didn't think about what you were doing. I'm talking about when you consciously, willingly, knowingly walk in sinfulness. You're making a mockery of the gospel. Don't do it. Live a life that is becoming of the gospel. That says, hey, I don't have to live here anymore because I'm saved. I don't have to live here anymore again because I'm forgiven. I don't have to go back to that anymore because it doesn't have any power over me. Live the gospel out. Three final thoughts and we're done. First of all, you need to know the gospel like the back of your hand. You need to understand it and here's what I would recommend that you do too. As you read the Bible, look for gospel themes throughout the Bible. Look for the way that God is merciful and kind and patient with people, with individuals. As you read through the Old Testament, I want you to see how the children of Israel shook their fists in the face of God and God just kind of sat back for a minute and goes, come on guys, get it together. Come on. I want you to read through the book of Jeremiah and see how God continually calls them to repentance. They continue to rebel and continue to reject. And God says, okay, this bad thing's going to happen if you don't get your act together. And they didn't. It's a story of the gospel where God continues to pursue his children, even when they're boneheaded and do knuckleheaded stuff. You need to know the gospel. You need to, to view the world through the lens of the gospel. Secondly, you need to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Pastor, what if somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? That's okay. Say, I don't know the answer to that. I'll find out. It's okay. You don't have to know the answer to everything. There's things I don't know the answer to. I just have to tell people, I don't know. Well, where can I find the answer in the Bible? I don't think the answer is in the Bible. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, do dogs go to heaven? What do you base that on? I base it on the fact that the Bible doesn't talk about dogs going to heaven. They're would there need to be a plan of salvation for dogs? I don't know. Uh, that would be different than cats because cats definitely aren't in heaven, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> is there an answer for that? There's no answer in the Bible. Carrie, I'm sorry, cats are probably in heaven. I, I forgot Carrie loves cats and I love Carrie, so I love cats. Um, I, I don't know. The answer's, the answer's not in the Bible. I don't know the answer to that. And it's, it's okay to say that you don't know. But know the gospel so that you can share the gospel. Again, Here's a statistic for you. 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel one time. That's embarrassing. 
for us as Christians. Embarrassing. You know why? Because the gospel story took place 2,000 years ago, and then 2,000 years ago, we can't get enough Christians that are fired up about the gospel enough to at least tell the whole world. Did you know that in nine months, just nine months, 300 million Americans have been reached with a message, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home if you don't feel well. 300 Americans know that. 300 million Americans know that. <laughs> there's some friends who said, uh, my kids were playing their, with their dolls the other day, my daughter, who's four, said to one doll said to the other one don't forget your mask what four-year-olds know this how can we take a message like wear a mask wash your hands stay home if you don't feel well and we can saturate the entire known world with that message in a matter of months yet we as christians have had two thousand years to get the gospel out and we're still running way behind you know why because it's just not a priority for us this doesn't matter Hey, look, when this whole coronavirus thing started in the early, early days, it was deadly. If you got this, you were going to die, right? Two million American lives were going to be lost in this pandemic, at least. And so we're like, oh, hold up. This is a big deal. People are going to die. I remember the first celebrity I heard of got, was Tom Hanks, you know. Tom Hanks got coronavirus. He's totally dead. And I liked Forrest Gump, you know. But then, it's not as deadly as we thought it was, but it's still serious. People can die, okay, serious. We need to take this seriously. Okay, we'll take it seriously. Why isn't the gospel message as urgent for us? You know why? Because it's not as serious. Nobody's died. You know what, they're gonna die for eternity. Yeah, I know, we'll get that later. It's not pressing. It's not important. It's not a priority. And then we go back to that thing that what are our guiding priorities? The gospels are guiding priorities. Of course it should be, but it's not. For many Christians, for many churches, the gospel is kind of an afterthought. The gospel becomes a cute buzzword that people put on their website, but they don't actually talk about what the gospel actually means. <laughs> we were starting, starting who we call I was doing a lot of study on church plants in, in urban areas. I found a church in Seattle that had a gospel-centered park bench painting ministry. That's interesting. What does a gospel-centered park bench painting ministry look like? And so uh, I got on their website and started reading through all their stuff and everything. They go out and they paint park benches in their neighborhood. That's awesome. How does it relate to the gospel? It doesn't. They just paint park benches. Wait a minute. The city and county paint park benches. Does that make it gospel-centered? No, it's a church, so it must be gospel-centered. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not we're going to paint benches in the park. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for sinners. Does that drive us? Does that fire us up? Does that make my heart beat a little bit quicker? Does my heart grieve for people that I know that don't know Jesus? If not, then maybe the gospel is just not a priority, but I would encourage you to make it a priority. Because people you know, love, work with, rub shoulders with are on a, a freight train to hell with no brakes. And the only hope that they have is somebody would flag them down with the gospel. It's the only hope they have. So know the gospel so that you can share the gospel. <laughs> but please, don't hurt the gospel because if you share the gospel yet fail to live the gospel, you're actually hurting the gospel. So 
We need to know the gospel so we can share the gospel, so we can live the gospel. People need to be able to see my life and go, oh, that backs up the message that you're telling me. Oh, Jesus redeems broken people. I see that in you. That backs up the message that I'm hearing. Got it. You really believe that Jesus can save somebody like me. You don't know what I've done. doesn't matter what you've done. I still believe that Jesus can save you. You know, so many times people are scared of coming to church. They think if people really knew what I do, if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't want me here. That everybody in this church has got it all together. Everybody in this church is perfect. Nobody in this church has any problems. And I come in here, and if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me at all. They'd probably hate me, and I probably wouldn't be welcome here if they knew me. If there's anybody perfect and has got it all together this morning, would you raise your hand? Oh, point. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. So when you think thoughts like that, you're in a room full of broken people that need help. And that's why we're here. Because we found the only source of help is Jesus. And the only hope that this world has is the gospel. And know this, if you're broken and messed up and don't have it all together, you're in good company because the only hope that any of these people in this room have is the gospel. That Jesus died for sinners and can save us from ourselves and from our sin. It's the only hope that we got. But you want to live like you're God's gift to the kingdom? You, that God didn't really need to reach too far down to save you, that God couldn't save this certain people over here, or maybe, you know, your life of sin isn't that bad. Hey, look, you're just hurting the gospel message. You're not living it. But if we live a life that reflects the gospel, it just adds credibility to an already credible message. Think about it this way. When it's late at night and you're flipping through channels and trying to find something to watch and there's you've got, you know, 475 channels and there's nothing on TV tonight, right? And you run across that one who's, uh, you know, this paid program is brought, brought to you by Beachbody. Oh, I love those. Like, I used to love to watch those P90X commercials back in the day, you know? Because you got some guy who's fat and dumpy and he took 90 days with Tony Horton and he's just like ripped and shredded and you're like, bro, what the world? You know? And then they show some guy who's, you know, about 6'3 or so, about 40 pounds overweight, got the dad bod going on, tell you used to maybe be active back in the day. I go, that's totally me. And you look, you're like, whoa, 90 days. That guy could be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness Magazine. I could do that. And, and it's only 90 days, right? Guess what? You just took something, and because of one person's story, you say, that has credibility. Because you saw it, it changed one person. Now, mind you, this person probably is eating, you know, steamed fish and veggies every day, as well as, you know, hanging out with Tony Horton for 20 minutes. But you look at that and you say, that has credibility because somebody was impacted by that. By the same token, that's why Paul says, let your conversation, only let your conversation. This is really important that your life backs up the gospel message. Because the message is damaged when you don't. But when you live the gospel, man, it put, puts winds in the sails of the message. Now it's got power because you're a changed life on display. God, God could have chosen anybody to write the majority of the New Testament. Who did he chose? He chose Paul. Paul's an example of a changed life. 
God could have used anybody to preach on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and added to the church. Who did he pick? He picked the guy that denied Jesus three times, Peter. Did anyone ever think that that was strange? That of all the people who get the 3,000 people saved and baptized and added to the church, who got to preach that day? Peter did. And if you break down the statistics for that, Peter got to see 1,000 people saved, baptized, and added to the church for every time he denied Christ. Think about that for a second. That makes no sense. Yeah, I know. Because the gospel is all about redemption. The gospel is all about God taking broken people and repurposing them for his kingdom. And you and I get to be a part of that. So live the gospel this week most important thing in the world if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please do not leave here without knowing for sure that there has been a time, a date, a place where you were saved, where you were born again, where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because without it, you don't really have any hope whatsoever. And please understand there's nothing that you have done ever that would separate you from God's love and his ability to forgive you. Jesus saves anybody and everybody that comes to him. But for us that are Christians, hey, this week, let's let our life reflect the gospel. Let's really live this week like Jesus could save anybody. Let's live this week like really we don't deserve to be saved, but we're recipients of God's grace. Let's live this way this week that I am free from the power and penalty of sin in my life, and I'm going to live for Jesus this week so I can magnify Jesus in my life. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.